Hi everyone, my name is Johnny Lawrence and welcome to another episode of Life Talk, a self-development podcast. Coming up in this episode, I have a conversation with a person who is widely known as the Eating Disorder Therapist. She is the host of a podcast called the Eating Disorder Therapist Podcast, which is a great listen by the way, and she believes you can find peace with food and stop disordered eating. Of course, I'm speaking today with Harriet Frew. Harriet is an extremely qualified individual and coupled with her own experiences from her personal journey with disordered eating, it's provided her with the wisdom and the tools to offer guidance and a deeper understanding of the causes of disordered eating. So let's get to it. How are you, Harriet? Hi there, Johnny. Yeah, and I'm good, thank you. Yeah, how's uh, how's your week been and uh, your day so far? All right. Yeah. <laughs> you saw us yeah. briefly. You've had one of those days, haven't you? Bless you. <laughs> yeah, today's been one of those days, but um, generally, yeah, pretty good, thank you. Um, I've got three teenagers who are getting on with homeschooling pretty well, and um, yeah, we're kind of there's quite a lot of humour in the house in yeah. between bits and pieces. So, yeah, and we're all fit and healthy. So. Pretty oh, good is, overall, thank you. That is good to hear. I mean, I was going to talk to you today about um, disordered eating, but I'm going to sack that off and ask you, how did you get the children to do their studies? Because <laughs> that would be really valuable to me right now. <laughs> um, well, I think it's just different. Once they're teenagers, um, they get um, all this kind of like interactive, like online learning. So they literally log on at half eight in the morning and then they have their teachers and doing these interactive lessons all day so that really makes my job a lot easier I literally just have to feed them give them like cups of tea and biscuits and things and um just check in on them so it's a whole different ball game for from when you have primary school age children so um yeah I really feel for you because I know you are in the trenches a bit aren't you (laughs) Hey, listen, it, it's character building. That's what I like to say. That said, though, I am going to pile the kids in a car and come to your house because it sounds amazing. <laughs> I'd quite like teammate for me. That sounds amazing. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's going okay. That, that's good to hear. Um, you know, I never wish, uh, I'm not one of those that's like, ah, it's, it's bad for me. I want it to be bad for everybody. <laughs> so, it's all good. But um, I'm really grateful for your time today. Um, thank you, especially after the day that you've had. So, uh, you know, thanks for doing this. Um, I just wanted really to start with um, if you could explain to the listeners, the viewers, just a little bit about yourself and what your journey was to becoming the eating disorder therapist. Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm Harriet Frew. Um, I'm a therapist and I have sort of specialised in my career in supporting people with eating disorders, disordered eating, improving body image. Um, So my journey started off um, with my own experience of having an eating disorder um, in my late teens. Um, Yeah, I very much um, at the time I was really like desperate for some support. Um, I had bulimia. um, So I was in sort of cycles of um, restriction, binging and purging. Um, But then there was just very, very little help available. And I kind of decided quite early on, really, probably when I was about 23, um, that I wanted to help other people to have a different experience from what I had had. And um, and at that age as well, I was still sort of in my own recovery. And I guess I kind of very much went into it all as the wounded healer. 
um, you know, as I was kind of healing myself, I really wanted to um, heal others too. Um, so, yeah, so it's always just really been, um, because um, I went into this field through my own experience, I've always been I'm extremely sort of passionate about it and um, really felt that I really wanted to inspire and encourage others that recovery is possible because of, I guess, I've walked that journey. And um, and it's something I continue to be sort of very inspired and passionate about today, um, many years on. So w- when did your sort of, your, your sort of concerns start really in your life around disordered eating? Did you say bulimia? Yes. Um, so, I mean, actually as a child, I had a very relaxed relationship with food. Um, I grew up on a farm um, with um, three sisters, um, was very active, um, had a mum who always cooked really delicious food, you know, had a lot of like good routine, a lot of like nice social interactions around food. And um, and I was just naturally slim. I didn't ever really think about my body. Um, but it all sort of started when I was around sort of 16, 17. Um, and at that time, um, there was quite a lot of, sort of emotional stress going on at home. Um, my dad was um, really set on me staying at home and working on the farm. And um, I was like desperate to go to university and to like, you know, just have my own freedom and find myself and do all of that. And um I think I just had such a lot of conflict around that because of um, I'd always been this kind of quite kind of people pleasing person who liked to sort of um, make sure everyone else was all right. And I was the eldest child being responsible, all of that kind of cliched stuff, I guess. And um, so I was in a lot of conflict, really, because of um, I felt I couldn't really win because if I went to university, I was kind of going to be letting him down and then I was going to be feeling immense guilt. But I knew if I stayed, I would just feel completely sort of frustrated and that wouldn't really be right for me. So I had quite a lot of that going on. And at the time as well, as I broke up my first boyfriend um, at the time, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that was... um, you know, really, really like just that kind of real heartbreak of your first love. Yeah. So just all those things coming together, really. And it it wasn't was wasn't about weight and body image. Like I didn't. It wasn't that I suddenly had, had been really sort of um worrying about food or how I looked. It was all these kind of emotional problems coming together, and then the weight and the body image part almost came secondary to that because I remember looking in the mirror one day and just thinking oh I don't like my body I need to lose weight and I mean I wasn't overweight I was you know healthy weight but decided I needed to go on a diet and um I kind of did quite an extreme diet and I lost a lot of weight very very quickly and I guess put my body really into sort of starvation mode and was experiencing then lots of the kind of symptoms that you experience with starvation, you know, being extremely preoccupied with food and cold and not being able to concentrate, tired, exhausted all the time. And I very, very quickly spiraled into bulimia. So I was sort of very underweight for about a period of three months. So quite a short lived period. And then um, sort of fell into bulimia. My weight restored back to normal kind of quite quickly so kind of everyone around me presumed that I was fine and I was far from fine really because actually I was probably worse than when I'd been underweight um so yeah so then um then for like seven years I was actually sort of caught in cycles of um restriction binging and purging and um 
you know, and it kind of ebbed and flowed. I had periods which were much worse. Um, I still went off to uni. Yay. <laughs> um, but um, it was, you know, and I would kind of be okay in the term and then I'd come home and I'd almost have a massive rebound, relapse in the holidays, kind of being exposed to stresses and things again. Um, yeah, so, but it, it affected me for seven years. And, um, but thankfully I did recover um, yeah. through various means. Yeah, well, firstly, you know, well done, because, um, you know, that is that is an achievement, I think, <laughs> personally. But do, do you see it that way? Oh, yeah, I do. I yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and how's your sort of how's your thinking these days? Like, so as we sit here now, you know, is it in not having a full understanding? Um, is it something that can could so it's always there? Or is it something that comes and goes? Or is it or is it sort of under control now? Well, I think for me, actually, I feel I have completely genuinely 100% recovered, you know, like I'm, I'm eat intuitively, I eat all the foods, um, I have quite good body image. Um, yeah, I, I genuinely feel I've made a full recovery. Um, I don't know if it's always that way for everybody. Um, and I think what really helped me is I think I had that period from sort of zero to 17 where I had a really good relationship with food and, um, and I was an intuitive eater. And I kind of had that reference point of what a really healthy relationship with food could be like. So I think for me that that's kind of that helped me because I had that reference point. And I think maybe if you've had an eating disorder, say from the, at the age of 11 or 12 or something, and it's dominated all the way through your teenage years, then I think that can be a bit more tricky sometimes. You know, I think I do like to think full recovery is possible for everybody, but I think, you know, it helped me that I had that really good solid period of having a healthy relationship with food. So yeah, I know I'm genuinely um, recovered 100% today. Like I haven't sort of purged for, I don't want to say how many years actually. No, 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 that's <laughs> I don't know how old okay. I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long time. No, that's it's well. a lot of years. And, I'm um, glad to hear yeah. it's a lot of years. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's obviously really nice to hear that that you feel that way. And um, you know, I was curious about and 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 through this um sort of conversation, if if I if I ask any questions that you don't want to answer or you feel it's not appropriate please just tell me and i'll shut up <laughs> but <laughs> I, i'm quite interested because having been in the health and fitness industry um i've i've met a lot of men and women that have had disordered eating and because i've i've never had that myself my understanding is is sort of limited really um i do my absolute best to do all the reading and understanding that i can but obviously without going through it myself my, my understanding is always going to be limited but what what goes through someone's mind when when they look in the mirror and decide that you know you say you look back in hindsight and say I was a healthy weight or I was a good weight but at the time you, you didn't see that what what is what is that thinking there? Well, I think what happens is when you have an eating disorder, your um, self evaluation becomes very focused on your weight and shape. So I guess. You know, for good mental health, it, it's, you know, it's quite helpful to like derive your self-worth from lots of different parts of your life. You know, maybe so like your relationships, your hobbies, your work, your friendships, maybe your weight and shape might be in there as well. But, you know, across the whole spectrum, 
Whereas I guess when you have an eating disorder or you're developing disordered eating, you start to put too much focus on your weight and shape as the primary means of self-worth. So you start to pay more attention to your body, maybe by weighing yourself or looking at yourself in the mirror. And, you know, and I guess like with anything in life, when we start to pay a lot of attention to something, it kind of expands, doesn't it? And we Mm. have more thoughts and feelings and behaviors all develop around that. So um, that's often kind of where the, where it sort of starts off. And And then I think you get caught in a, in a sort of difficult cycle then it's hard to break because of if you get up every morning and you weigh yourself and then you look in the mirror and you take ages to get dressed because you're staring at your perceived worst body part um then you maybe get the evidence then that you don't look right so then you restrict your eating and then you become preoccupied with food and yeah it goes on yeah i mean there's a a well-known life coach mel robbins i'm sure you've heard of her um, and she says, what you focus on grows stronger, you know, and I mm-hmm. suppose that, that, you know, that could be a positive thing. If you're focusing on something that's positively, you know, working on your self-development, then that's great. But equally, it can obviously be a destructive thing as well. So that's why it's, I think it's such a valuable saying, what you focus on grows stronger, you know, but yeah. so, that's interesting that, you know, that you, you talk about that sort of measure of all the different markers of your self-worth in life because you know we're currently you know I, I can't say when this will go out I'm not sure yet but at the moment we're we're in lockdown and um I suppose people are yes there would be people that are going through homeschooling there'll be people that'll be trying to work from home but there will be some people that want to get back to work and can't they might not have any children at this point and their focus might be on their weight or their body image and they also might be stressed. And as we all know, it doesn't escape anyone, myself included. Sometimes when we stress, we like to overeat or we like to we sit and watch Netflix and have some popcorn or chocolate or whatever. So at the moment, I suppose, it's very possible that people are going to be focusing on, on their body parts more and, and their body. And, uh, you know, what would you say to someone that's going through that at the moment, someone that's potentially obsessing over their, their body weight, their body image during the pandemic? Yeah, I think it's really tough and it's really understandable, isn't it? In a way, when things have been taken away that used to like stimulate us and offer us kind of like sense of worth and purpose and all of that. Um, I mean, I guess I say the first step is almost just to take stock and just notice really if you're doing more of that because Mm. of, you know, I think it's just beginning to have that sort of self-awareness and just to think about actually, is this what I really want to be doing? Um, so I think, I think often what happens with disordered eating is um, our values become a bit skewed, you know, because I think, you know, if you ask most people when they're 90 and they're looking back on their life, what is it that's going to be important to you? Of course, it's going to be like relationships and like, you know, work and career and all those like site travel, exciting, stimulating things. It's not going to be like, I don't know, I had a six pack and I weighed X pounds, is it? You're so right. You really are. <laughs> um, I've so literally suppose... never had a conversation with an older person who said, look at this six pack I've had. <laughs> and I've literally, that's never happened to me. Sorry, I interrupt anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so true though, isn't it? But I think, 
I think the trouble is when we're in the eye of the storm and a bit like the stress of the pandemic, it's easy to get a bit skewed with your values. And particularly when there's a lot of stuff on social media or from the government talking about kind of weight and things as well. So um, so I suppose I'd just try and say to people, just try and take stop, take a step back, think about what's going on, think about your values, have a bit of compassion for yourself in a way that, you know, you probably are feeling like this. And, you know, I think it's going to be understandable. There probably is going to be a bit more emotional eating going on and, and using food as a kind of comfort and soother and things because we've kind of been robbed of some of the other things that I guess we'd normally use um, at other times. Yeah, I mean, we, we can't see people at the moment. We can't go places. I mean, you can't mm. take away your sort of food pleasures as well. It's just, it's a bit harsh, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> That's where you, where you mentioned compassion, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's really, really important to be compassionate to ourselves at the moment. Because, yeah, being super critical, you're probably going to end up turning to food even more to soothe and feel better. Yeah, I mean, and how does someone strike that balance? Because obviously you know, there, there's compassion, but then there's there's also, there will be people that will be overindulging. And to a certain degree, that's okay. But, you know, you could go the other way and, and develop a problem the sort of the other way as well. So sort of how, how do you think, you know, see, I don't expect you to have the exact answers, but how do you think, mm. it's, is it possible to sort of, to strike a balance? You know, I think so. I mean, I guess it's, again, it comes back to that kind of awareness thing and trying to understand kind of maybe why you're turning to food. Because if in a way you want food to be there as a source of comfort and soothing and everything, don't you? But I guess in a way you want to feel like you've got a range of strategies that you could use to sort of help with your emotional well-being. So, you know, it might be, I don't know, like going out for a walk or like chatting to a good friend or I don't know, you know, whatever it is, um, crochet or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I suppose it's almost like I think we can easily get into the habit of just using food as the thing, the default thing to turn to. So, again, it's like kind of stepping back and almost asking yourself the question, you know, what is it that I really need right now? You know, how am I feeling? And taking that sort of sort of stop and pausing and tuning in really to how, how you're doing and then thinking about, is it food I need or is it something else? See, that's 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 amazing advice because, and, and what's remarkable to me as I sit here now is over Christmas, I had the pleasure of talking with two people that, that coach in the world of alcohol and, and alcohol recovery and, and going alcohol free. And they said the same thing, you know, putting your hand on your heart and asking yourself, what do you need? You know, mm. but that and and to me, I, I think that's probably the most beneficial thing I've heard in recent months, actually. <laughs> and strangely enough, it's the one thing that if I find myself, you know, getting frustrated with the children, not doing what they're supposed to be doing, <laughs> or, you know, even just spending a lot of time around the same people, you know, wife and kids, dog, all that sort of stuff, frustrations build up and, and you know, we're allowed to go out for one walk. <laughs> it's very tricky so you know that what do I need why am I frustrated what's going on you know it might just be that you know what today's just one of them days and I'm struggling today and mm. actually it's all right to say that out loud and once everybody knows that compassion comes into the room doesn't it yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and I think it sounds very <laughs> simple doesn't it like tuning in and saying like what do I need but yeah. I think it's so hard for us to do that sometimes we're often so distracted or busy or you know yeah. doing whatever we forget to just do that don't we and it's a 
it's, you know, it's a very simple intervention, but it's um, sometimes we need to just really make the time to just but, have that kind of little pause. But quite often, don't you find it is simple? Um, you know, essentially, you know, when it comes to most things, the, the equation is generally simple. It's it's often the practice of it. <laughs> that's that's the difficult bit because us complicated Thank humans you. and all our emotions <laughs> and all yeah. about overanalyzing is it's, it's nightmare. I mean, no, very often I find, especially with the clients I've worked with, no one's going to be harder on them than themselves, you know. Yeah. some of the things I hear people say about themselves you know and I, I find myself mm. saying very often you know would you say that to somebody else because mm. if you wouldn't why on earth would you say it to yourself you know <laughs> but it's the way they feel and it's a, it's a very sad place to be I suppose <clears throat> but I mean you you um you, obviously we're talking about disordered eating and I, I I like the way you define that as disordered eating because that you know a lot of people might listen to this and think well I haven't got an eating disorder you know I don't overeat I don't undereat but there there are you know when people use labels like good foods bad foods and, and things like that so what's your sort of definition when would you say of, of disordered eating um so yeah I guess it's when um <laughs> you know lots of different things really but when there's become a lot of kind of judgment around food so yeah when you're like, like labeling foods as good foods and bad foods so I guess eating hasn't become just like a um you know just as a functional experience anymore in terms of putting nutrients in your body eating starts to cause a lot of anxiety guilt um shame often so you know all those emotions get tangled up with it um, I guess it's when you're doing anything like restricting, you know, and, and that can be, I think, I think people often think of just like calorie counting or something, but it can be like missing meals for some people. It might be doing intermittent fasting if that's not really very healthy for them. You know, it could be multiple, you know, it could be kind of like being too precise with your macros. So that feels very restrictive. Um, disordered eating also includes things like binge eating, you know, we're eating out of control Um large amounts of food and secrets um it can mean purging taking laxatives it can mean over exercising um and i guess essentially what over overarching with all of this is just like an intense preoccupation with food and your body so you're not just kind of getting up and being able to get on with your day you've got this kind of constant preoccupation with food and exercise and all the kind of anxiety around eating that doesn't really go away you mentioned a word there that, that I, I I think is is worth talking about, and that's the word shame. Um, again, another word that comes up um, within other areas such as alcohol and and other addictions and and things like that. So, like when it comes to food, what what is that shame? What does that feel like, and 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 how does it present? Um, well, I just think it just feels really sort of. Um despairing and hopeless and like wanting to sort of just hide away and that you've just done something so wrong you know like you're feeling bad from your core almost you know in a really quite extreme way and I guess you know with food it can you know people can attach I guess you know so much shame to like their weight changing or if they've eaten like a bad food or they feel that they're not following their plan properly they're not exercising enough um so you know they they carry can carry those intense sort of feelings of like just being really bad um when they're not kind of following through on what they feel they should be doing with food and exercise so i i've had um conversations with as i say men and women over the well 
over the last year, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, a story I hear very often is um, a point in the day, someone getting very, very stressed, they're in the kitchen, and before they know it, they've eaten um, a, a large bag of crisps or a half a packet of biscuits, and they feel that shame so much so that mm. they stuff the packet right to the bottom of the bin as if anyone in the house is going to judge them of any way. But again, that's what that shame is. It's not about somebody else judging you. It's about you judging yourself. Am I right in, in thinking that? Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think there's often, yeah, intense fear of being judged by others as well. And maybe that's come from early figures in your life, but then it very much becomes how you parent yourself. Love you know, that. or however you want to phrase that. So, yeah. So, yeah, just feeling, yeah, that that intense self-criticism, self-loathing, feeling that you've done something terribly, terribly wrong. So we've had we've had a conversation before and, and I, I've, I kind of resonated with some of the words that you used. And, you know, we've already gone through one or two of them now. But that that statement there of parenting yourself, that's something that it's really, really come into my world recently. And um what what do you mean by that when you say parent yourself? Because I, I I think I know what that means, but I'd like to know your definition. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Sorry, I'm yeah. putting you through it today, aren't I? <laughs> like, come on, Joey. <laughs> Had a rubbish day. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, yeah. So I mean, I guess from when we're very little, you know, we have interactions with our parents and other authority figures who are significant in our lives. Um. So, you know, and that can be a mixture of perhaps really positive interactions so you know as a little child if you've if you've received a lot of um acceptance love encouragement etc you're kind of going to grow up with that feeling like a kind of normal and you will be unconsciously then able to do that for yourself much better so if you've received a lot of encouragement and warmth and kindness you will feel deserving of those things so then you can then start to kind of parent yourself you know how you treat yourself in a similar way whereas if you've experienced maybe um sort of criticism or you know sometimes you know more extreme things like trauma or abuse um or you know when you haven't been treated so well um unconsciously as well you can grow up feeling quite undeserving maybe un unworthy and again unconsciously you will then kind of parent yourself probably in a in a similar way and it's not something you'll be rationally thinking about doing but you can't almost help yourself so um yeah I guess it's kind of a sort of basic sort of thing in psychology in a way that we you know our, our childhood does really impact us and then we tend to unconsciously repeat those patterns as adults even if we can feel on a rational level I'm not going to repeat what's happened to me in the past we kind of do it yeah yeah, because I mean, that that very much sounds like, you know, being a parent of two young children, when when they're upset, or they're distressed, or, or even if they're just excited, bouncing around the house, there are certain questions I'm going to ask about what it is they need. Like my youngest, for example, are you bouncing around the house because you need to go and kick a ball around? <laughs> you know, I, I asked them questions, you know, and I suppose yeah. that's what we, we forget to do as adults a lot of the time. Mm. Question you know, I was reading, um, I think it's Gabor Mate, um, and he was saying about, you know, a lot of the emotions that we feel, anger, resentment, um, embarrassment, that they're not really emotions as such, they're reactions. Um, so mm -hmm. why are you feeling those feelings? And that that's the sort of parent question, isn't it? If you see your child upset, like, what's the matter? You know, 
but you you wouldn't mm. dare ask yourself that because you'd feel strange I suppose but it, it's something I'm sort of learning to deal with myself at the moment due to some unfortunate trauma as a child myself so uh, mm. I just find all that very interesting and um never ceases to amaze me how a lot of this stuff is all interlinked when it comes to self-development yeah no so true isn't it and I think I think what's often missing as well for many people is I think as well you can have very um kind and caring parents in a way who can be very supportive in lots of ways and maybe always provided your physical needs but sometimes that emotional bit can be lacking mm. um you know so just not having a parent or authority figure that's consistently there able to kind of listen to you ask you how you're feeling and um and I think it's quite a common thing sometimes that that's lacking and the trouble is if you haven't really experienced that as a child in a way you don't really quite know what you're missing as an yeah. adult no, you're so right. it's a whole new thing to kind of relearn to, well, to learn really isn't it for the first time thinking about actually how do I feel yeah and what do I need I you mean, know it's all a bit new when- when my wife came into my life, obviously she didn't come into my life as my wife. <laughs> that was later. <laughs> but, um, you know, she, she's pretty much a care bear. So <laughs> she's like Aww. the most loving person ever. And, you know, so much about that experience, meeting her family, because her family were very much the same, you know, that love at first that, you know, that they'd always kiss and hug you when they saw you and stuff. And I very much was mm. like, whoa, this is strange. And, you know, that's when you start going, is it, <laughs> is it mm. them that's strange or is it me, you know? And even with my children, one of the reasons why I pay so much focus on myself now when it comes to that is because I realized that some of my behavior around my kids and, and love was a bit, you know, disjointed, let's just say. So mm. it, it's some, and again, you know, I can easily see how, you know, you take you take what happened to me and you replace it with an experience surrounding food, how that can that same thing can happen. You know, that's that to me is it's just remarkable, as I just said, how it all interlinks in some way, you know, it all comes down to looking after yourself. Right. Doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. So a lot of people might be thinking, you know, what has self-development got to do with disordered eating but at the end of the day what this comes down to is building as you say you know finding peace with food to stop disordered eating at the end of the day eating is nourishment uh, and that gives us a nice healthy body and a nice healthy brain and I don't think there's anyone out there that can argue that that's not important towards self-development so as we sort of stated earlier um it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, an eating disorder as such, but them signs that you pointed out about, you know, the little things that the judgments you're making on your body, um, some of the behaviors you have surrounding foods, even as keeping it as sort of basic as good foods, bad foods. I think that's that's language that more or less everybody uses now, isn't it, really? Whether they mean it that way or not. Yeah, well, I think I think sadly, um, yeah, there's so much labeling and so much judgment around food. And um, yeah, and it's not helped by, I think, you know, diet culture that's so influential, isn't it? And um, yeah, it's it's really tricky, isn't it? Because I think obviously, you know, we have got issues in, in this country and the Western world in general with people, um, you know, not always kind of being like really healthy in their body and and, and being sort of in a, in a sort of healthy weight or whatever. But I think, you know, it doesn't, it's not helpful to address it from coming at it with kind of diets and the kind of good and bad critical kind of labeling and um, because of actually we end up sort of then just trying to be really good for a bit and following the diets and then we just end up rebelling and they're, they're not yeah. sustainable and yeah. um you really need that kind of broader kind of picture of working on your relationship with food and um 
how, yeah. how does that start? Because I mean, uh, you know, a lot of people out there, let, let's just say sort of, I don't know, um, I, I work a lot with, uh, with mothers usually. Um, and uh, a, a similar pattern that I hear is that they, they, te- they go to certain slimming clubs that have different systems in place. And they, to me, it feels like they, they stop looking at a plate of food now and see the food that's on the plate. And they see this sort of, I don't know, complicated system of of whatever you know uh, on the plate and uh, then when they go outside of that environment you know the the ready meals and all of the sort of marketing that goes behind some of those um them slimming clubs uh, and they go to uh, on holiday and, and they're eating at a buffet or they go to a restaurant and it, despair kicks in they don't know what to do they, they no longer see mm-hmm. chicken or rice or pasta or or whatever they they, they, they haven't yes. got this system that they've been taught is the only way to eat this is the way that I can eat successfully so you know without sort of going on a tyrant about <laughs> about slimming gloves and, and different brands yeah how can we how can we get around that because that it that education, you know, I see it all the time of, of women believing, you know, like I hear this statement very often, this slimming cup works for me. And I say, okay, I'm really glad that you feel that, that something's working for you. However, uh, if it's working, why are you still unhappy? So my question is, is it working for you? Or do you feel like you maybe need to sort of develop a, a different relationship with food as, as you know as you put finding peace with food? I love that. I, I really do think because mm. it is peace, isn't it? It's that that what you talk about if if you know it sounds like harassment doesn't it like the food harasses mm. you literally like going into a kitchen must be walking in must be like for someone who's developing disordered eating it must be like walking into a room full of people shouting at you you know it must yeah, be a really hard definitely. place to be and again as a compassionately how, how can people sort of watch out for the signs and then when they what are the signs and, and what can they do about it once they've recognized that there might be some disordered eating creeping into their lives well, I think for a lot of people, you know, it can be really helpful to get support, um, you know, with, um, I, mean, I mean, I think sort of starting off as well, even just through doing like some self-help reading, you know, like reading books, like say like Janine Roth or something who does writes a lot on emotional eating, you know, just kind of going down that route and starting to view your relationship with food in a slightly different way, you know, like linking it to your emotions and your self-esteem. And I think, so much of all of this as well as getting back to kind of self-trust because I think you know when you're following a diet or you're going along to a club or something you know someone else outside of you is telling you what to do and giving you external rules and and then I guess you you stop trusting yourself don't you and you know and, and we have the tools within us you know we are born kind of knowing when we are hungry yeah. when we are full um, <laughs> nicely put I like that <laughs> well we do know we like you know we have no, a body right. and, and like we can trust our body maybe for our breathing or knowing when we need to go to the loo or something and you know and actually it's just getting back in touch and it with your body again I know that sounds like really simple and again that is something that's really quite hard if you've been out of touch with your body for a long time but um but I suppose it's moving back towards that kind of self-trust and I guess you know something like um the 10 principles of intuitive eating can be really helpful with that because it helps it kind of puts a bit of a framework around helping you get back in touch with your body and you know listening to your hunger listening to your fullness not not always emotionally eating having better body image um 
so yeah and getting and I guess getting some support if it's you know if you've really gone a long way from being in touch with yourself you might need some help to um yeah get back to a better place with food so a key point there is is accountability isn't it um like you know not not feeling like your your development towards you know healthy eating or or whatever however you want to phrase it is is down to somebody else um or or even mm-hmm. not following a diet i like the word you used framework i like that because it suggests that it's wide open and that you can apply many things to it to a certain set of principles instead of you must only eat this you must only eat that you know yeah so so yeah accountability and creating some form of framework Mm, definitely and I think as well just I think what's sort of very subtle with um the whole diet kind of industry is it, it is very critical and very harsh and it promotes a lot of kind of guilt and shame and and low self-esteem really I mean that might not be its ten- intention but I think that's often the result whereas I think when you start to work on your relationship with food and and become much more in tune with yourself again you know, you're going back to that place of like, what do I need? Being self-compassionate and, you know, viewing the kind of bigger picture, the sort of holistic picture of health as well, rather than getting so fixated on it being like what you've eaten and how many steps you've done or whatever. Yeah, I bet I bet you hear an awful lot of that. I know I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so so someone's concerned about their their eating, their their dieting, whatever it is they 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 sort of call it. Um, and they give you a call. So what's the first port of call when it comes to working with yourself? Sure. So at the moment, actually, I do most of my work for the NHS, actually. Oh, right. So, Sorry. yeah. Um, so um, I work in, so, yeah, in the Adult Eating Disorder Service in Cambridgeshire. So at the moment, my I'm one thing I sort of offer people is breakthrough days. So I like offer people privately, like intense bits of work. Um, mm-hmm. But that's sort of more um, appropriate for people that have maybe done a bit of therapy already and are kind of looking to kind of get over that last sort of hurdle. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's the main kind of like face-to-face support I'm offering at the moment. Um, and I've also got some, but I've got some online courses actually that I've been creating. So oh, <laughs> yeah. Is that a lockdown project? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. When, when will they be coming into the world? Well, no, I've got a couple online at the moment, actually. I mean, I've got a free like taster, which is like 10 modules and um, steps to intuitive eating. And then I've got like a kind of um, upgraded kind of version of that where you get like a much more intensive like lectures and videos and, you know, taking you through the 10 steps of intuitive eating. And then I've also got a course called um, How to Stop Binge Eating in the Pandemic which is um um seven modules i believe but yeah so um so yeah that's all um yeah all all available now actually if, if people are interested and where can they find that what what's the website for that um so my website is the eating disorder therapist.co.uk great and why they just go on there and it's sort of very intuitively yes. <laughs> if i find it great yes yeah. and <laughs> so yeah, also- i've got the links to everywhere from there Oh, so it's just like, come and check this, click this. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. so, and uh, you also have a podcast as well. I've, I've been sort of uh, binge listening to some of that. I'm, I'm loving it. It's great. You must be really proud of it. Uh, oh, I, well, thank you. Yeah. You enjoy it? 
Yeah, I do really do. And I think, yeah. and like you said there as well, it's just like getting good guests on, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And then... oh, yeah. <laughs> getting, getting, you know, people are like, oh, you get some really good guests. It's like, I really do. And like, I'm finding out all this really cool stuff. It's so good. <laughs> it's like the biggest con ever. <laughs> but I get to speak to wonderful people like you. It's great. Um, okay, listen, I'm so grateful for your time. Uh, I, I'm hoping tomorrow will be a better day for you. Yeah, no, well, thank you. I, I, I will really be thinking about you. it. I'll be thinking about you tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. talk just just mention the podcast where it, uh, what what it's called again and wh- where it can be found, and then just any social media or any any projects that you got coming up, really, or anything you want to make people aware of. Sure. So, yeah, my podcast is the Eating Disorder Therapist. Um, so it's hosted on Podbean, but it's on most platforms. So you should be able to find it on your favorite platform. And my Instagram is at the eating disorder therapist with underscores between each word. <laughs> but I think if you just type in the eating disorder therapist, it'll probably come up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do go and check out my online courses. I would be really um, pleased. Yeah. If you want to like sign up and um, be able to sort of, um, yeah, embrace intuitive eating um, through that medium, that'd be great. I think that everyone should check out your social media just to see your recent post with you in the wig. I loved it. But I thought it was fantastic. I really did. I just, uh, I really did think it was a nice post, you know, and, and strangely enough, my, my wife was found it very welcoming because she was having some problems over, you know, over lockdown, just like everybody is, you know, just struggling with stress and, and how they, how to cope, you know, so it was, um, it was nice. It was a nice approach. I thought. Oh, thank you. Well, the wig does come out probably about every like, I don't know. Once a month, maybe. Yeah. Is that is that something we should look out for? <laughs> <laughs> Have we got a hashtag for it? Or <laughs> listen, no, um, not yet. Okay, well, let, I think you should get on that. What what can you come up with? Like, I don't know. We could have um, the free wig or area wig or i don't know no i'm not i've never been good at names and stuff like that so. <laughs> but if anyone's got a genius idea they can like let you know yeah yeah or, or, or go over to your instagram and let you know that, that'd be yeah. great then you can, you can get it moving straight you can start a movement <laughs> uh, yeah i'm so grateful for your time thank you so much and um yeah hopefully we'll get to do this again one day soon okay yeah no brilliant thanks very much no worries take care Without a doubt, that was a seriously powerful episode. And I find it profound how often I hear from people who have experience surrounding disordered eating, just how little it has to do with how much a person weighs and their body weight, and how much it seems to be focused around gaining control. So thank you, Harriet, for joining me on the show today. It was a real pleasure. If my conversation with Harriet has brought up any concerns or challenges for anyone, please feel free to make contact with Harriet through her social media and website channels. If you got some value from today's episode, please make sure that you give the podcast a follow on the platform of your choice, and that way you'll never miss an episode. That's all from me today, but keep an eye out on my social media, which is at Johnny Lawrence Coaching, for what will be coming up in future episodes. I'll be back in two weeks time with another guest on Life Talk, the self-development podcast.